Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Intuition works the same way. If we don't do it much, well, we don't get good at it. We don't even know really what it is. Like you said, it's like a stranger that we don't see very often. My advice is to retire early and often. Earn your freedom as quickly as possible. Purpose comes from intuition, right? That's the pure voice of ourself speaking. Our conscious mind demands attention, as I said, and we know this from neuroscience too. It wants to insert itself into the process and claim credit actually for decisions, so to speak, that were made pre-consciously or subconsciously. That's my purpose is to do me as well as I possibly can. Depression is very simply a symptom of not living well. In spring of 2019, I went on this amazing three-day writing and meditation retreat where we engaged with our deep heart. And I met a wonderful man by the name of Bowen Dwelly at this retreat. We shared in some intimate experiences, reading some of these writings from our heart, staring into one another's eyes. And he just recently contacted me to come on my podcast because he has a purpose that he needed and wanted to share. And the following is the bio that he wrote about himself. Bowen Dwelly was a teenage booze hound and suffered from anxiety and depression until the age of 48. Along the way, he started his first business at nine years old and another at 29. He became a professional adventure guide, a semi-pro kite surfer, paraglider pilot, and trail runner, and is now a writer and freedom coach whose purpose is to tell the truth about depression, alcohol, and intuition. A successful entrepreneur, Bowen sold the conference series that he created in 2015 and is now dedicated to sharing his unique story, helping others through his writing and coaching. My interview with Bowen Dwelly today really reinvigorated my sense of purpose as it relates to intuition. He makes so many good points about the importance of tapping into our intuition and has such a profound story of how he wasn't able to tap into his intuition and therefore his purpose because of depression and alcohol. And seeing how he's come through on the other side and got the wheel turning a different way is just so inspirational. And then the wisdom that has come from that is just so profound. One thing that really stuck with me in this interview is this concept of being fully who we are, awakening to ourselves as much as we possibly can, and doing so through intuition. He has this great analogy of how a dog knows how to be a dog really well. It's important that Bowen knows how to be Bowen really well, and you know how to be you really well. And as he was saying this, it reminded me of this feeling that I felt like I was able to capture so much in my youth when I would play outside and have friendships that mattered a lot and have freedom of just expression. And 
I'm really carrying that feeling with me again after this interview. I used to make these deep vows to myself that I would always remain grounded in those feelings of true unlimited freedom and potential. And I think because I've made those, I'm living in those to a large degree. But I can tap into them even more deeply and fully. And talking with Bowen has really helped me to re-engage with that. And I'm really excited to be living from this freedom as I engage with my world around me here in Thailand. And then another point that we talked about that was just super top of mind for me is about how to be an amazing partner in relationship and how we find that through our deepest sense of purpose and the journey we're on in that purpose path. And so the end of the interview was just really incredible with such rich wisdom around how to be an amazing partner for me as a man in relationship as I'm about to get married in a few weeks. So I really learned a lot and value this relationship with Bowen and I'm excited for you to experience the interview we just shared. So with that, have an amazing experience for the next hour and a half as you journey into the depths of all of who Bowen Duali is. And I know that you'll come out of this a greater person of purpose. Enjoy. Hello, Bowen Dwelly. It's exciting to have you on People of Purpose today. I'm really excited to reconnect after we met each other uh, this last spring at Spirit Rock Meditation Center, uh, just north of San Francisco in Marin County. Uh, we shared some heartfelt experiences, reading some of our uh, creative writing we did after some deep meditations and had some experiences looking in each other's eyes for several minutes at a time, things like that. So. You're a stranger to me in a lot of ways, but also we've shared some intimate contact as well. So it's going to be really cool to see where this interview goes. You have such an interesting and unique sense of purpose that uh, I don't think has been featured on the, on the show yet. So I'm really excited to unpack that. Thanks for making the time to come on the show. It's great to be here, Tanner. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, see you again and reconnect. Yeah, I understand you're in Thailand now. Yeah, that's correct. So exciting. I love it. <laughs> Getting married in three weeks to my Thai fiance. Oh, that's so great, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I remember hearing about that from you when we met briefly. And uh, Thailand's been on my mind a lot lately. I've got several connections there now. So who knows? We may cross paths in Thailand before long. Cool. That'd be neat. Yeah, I'm up in Chiang Mai if you ever stop through. Mm -hmm. I know the place. Yeah. Great. Well, you sent me a lot of materials to prepare for this interview, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. You have such a ability in your writing to tap into a raw emotion that feels so universal. Even though I haven't been in the depths of alcoholism or depression necessarily, I feel as if I can understand some of what you're going through just because of the way you're able to convey it in your writing. It's, it was really enjoyable to prepare. And I'm really excited to talk about some of these topics that are hard to talk about. I understand that they would be very hard to talk about. I really like where you're going right now with your coaching and your emphasis on intuition. In the preparation documents, you said that you could potentially share a story on how you discovered the power of intuition through trail running. Maybe we could start there so we could understand kind of what you're about and then unpack some of that story. So how did you discover the power of intuition through trail running? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a fun place to start. Well, 
Intuition, right? It's a fuzzy thing. It's one of these things that we all have and we talk about, but can be very hard to describe, right? Hard to put our fingers on how to describe what it is, how it works, what it really is. You know, is it something that really exists or is it just sort of a something? You know what I mean? It's not something that fits well with our, really, with our conscious analytic model of the world. That's kind of our, you know, our dominant model of the world. And it's something that, well, all of us are tuned into or familiar with, I think, to differing degrees. And for me, it was always a little bit of a foreign concept, I have to say. And it was really something that felt kind of awkward because, you know, when someone says, well, you know, trust your gut. And I'd be like, you know, how? Like, I never had that feeling. I didn't have it distinctly enough to feel like that that was anything more than kind of a cliche that people said. And I'm just like, how does it really work? I mean, I don't know how you feel, but how well you feel tuned into your intuition. It comes and goes, for sure. Sometimes I feel really tuned in. Sometimes it feels like a, a stranger that I haven't met with in a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, and that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. So for me, it was definitely a stranger that I really did not know very well at all. And I had gotten to the point in my life where I was just sick to death of making decisions, for one thing. I really was. And we can talk about that more as we go along. But I think that the constant decision making of essentially, you know, most of how our societies work is a big kind of part of the reason that a lot of us are so anxious and depressed. We're not really made to constantly make decisions. We're made to also use our intuition a lot, which is essentially a subconscious or pre-conscious knowing without really knowing how we know or decision-making without having to make a conscious decision. Okay, so all by way of introduction. So I was at this point, I was like, how do I get more into my intuition? I really didn't know. But what I did know was, or what I was already doing in my life was I was doing a lot more physical and athletic stuff. And I've always been an outdoors person and a pretty physical person. I'm now 49, almost 50 in my sort of early mid 40s. I really began to get much more athletic in a bunch of different ways. And I took up open water swimming in San Francisco Bay and trail running and a bunch of other stuff. And one day, I was out trail running on one of my favorite routes. And I had this it occurred over, I don't know, maybe it's just like, you know, a few seconds or a minute. You know, I had this realization at one point as I was running down the trail that my conscious mind, my, you know, my brain, as we think of our brain, right? You know, the, the conscious part, the active part, the analytical part, observed, saw my body moving, right? Saw my body moving intuitively, right? Because that's what our bodies do. Our bodies move intuitively. It's not completely without thought, but automatic thought, essentially, right, for the most part. I was aware of this, and I had this thought where my mind saw my body moving intuitively and said, wait a second, if you can do that, then I can do that, basically. And the thing is, is that the patterns, I mean, the mind, you know, our brains are meat too, right? Muscle, meat. I mean, it's flesh. and so. They are physical processes, right? Our thoughts are electrochemical, neurochemical, physical processes. 
And so it does make sense that, you know, the physical process of moving our bodies in an intuitive way, you know, that we can relate to that mentally and kind of see like, oh, huh, yeah, I could do that too in a more mental way, in a non-physical way. Right. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So you're not like paying attention to how to like avoid every rock and like how to like not twist your ankle. Your body's figuring it out as you're going. And you kind of understood that the way you navigate your life with the decisions you make could be more intuitive like that. Just kind of let things go how they're naturally headed. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, that is what I'm saying. And of course, you know, for anyone who's already familiar with their intuition or uses it a lot, they're like, yeah, duh, that's how it works, right? <laughs> right. But for someone who isn't very tuned into their intuition, and I think there are a lot of us that are not very tuned into our intuition, for me, that realization, that kind of image, right, of possibility, that image of, oh, it gave me a clue as to how it worked. And it also put it in the context of something that I was very, very familiar with, which is physical activity outdoors. And so the gateway for me, you know, was not something abstract like a dream or even, let's say, journaling or meditation or, you know, or sketching or something abstract. It was something very physical, right? So that showed me that my athletic practice could be a way to familiarize myself or train even my intuition, right? And, you know, when we talk to athletes and if you look at sports psychology, that's very apparent, actually, that, you know, that's a big part of sports psychology and performance athletics is learning how to trust the body and, you know, tying into the mind-body connection without thinking about it too much. Because if you think about it too much, you know, that's when you're going to crash <laughs> because, it has to be mostly automatic. Right. So that makes a lot of sense. So you were just beginning to be awakened to this sense of intuition you could tap into, and you were figuring out ways to continually tap into it through an athletic practice. And then as it was being trained and honed, you were able to start to trust it to apply for decision-making in your normal everyday life. Yeah, what I found is that, well, like anything else, Everything in life, I mean, I, my belief is that everything is a practice. Everything, right? And we, you know, we get good at what we do. That's what that means, right? And intuition works the same way. If we don't do it much, well, we don't get good at it. We don't even know really what it is. Like you said, it's like a stranger that we don't see very often. But the more we use it, the stronger, the better it gets, the more familiar we get with it. And so, you know, it wasn't just that moment of running. There were many moments and it was a gradual process, but that was a bit of a breakthrough for me. And what I began to be able to do more was notice, I would say. It's kind of the first step of tuning into intuition more, is simply noticing something, right? You might not know what it means or really what it is, but you get some sense, some feeling, some message, some something and the first thing to do is just to be able to notice it and to bookmark, so to speak, that message just to not forget it so that then maybe, you know, an hour later, a day later, a week later, then you have the aha, oh, that's what that meant, right? That's how intuition works. If you don't notice it in the first place, 
that moment is gone and you'll never have the opportunity to interpret it essentially to realize what it means so from that moment and other moments on i really did begin to pay more attention right and start to trust that at least when i noticed something that there was something to notice right and then going on from there well noticing something okay what might that mean you know and then gradually if you want to talk about intuition more you know then okay well what might some intuitive message mean and then try it out right i mean that's how we learn to really 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 get to know our intuition and to trust it more is if we get this gut feeling like hmm you know maybe maybe i shouldn't you know make that phone call right now or whatever it is and then we act upon it and then we see the results right and kind of validate that our intuitive feeling was or wasn't correct that's where we close the loop right and then we can start to trust our intuition more yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense and it allows us to be more intentional and purposeful because we are making those decisions from someplace deep within rather than like a whim of energy that maybe came upon us for a second and you know when you're under the influence of addictive substances or you know negative patterns of thought or whatever you're victim to at that time which we all are in subtle small ways like it's important to give that intuition like the paramount role or the priority i noticed that you have this really cool little mantra that i wanted to talk about kind of relate to this it says change everything decide nothing and become an artist when I first read this, I was like, this is impossible. How can you change everything and decide nothing? Because in order to make a change happen, you have to make a decision. And I noticed that you make these decisions to jump continents and countries and careers. How are you able to do that when the mantra is to decide nothing? How can you both change everything and decide nothing? I want to understand that better. Interesting question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just never looked at it that way, even though, yes, those are my words. Well, okay, so that mantra, so to speak, is not one, it's three parts. It's three separate things that came to me around the same time in my life, but, you know, it's not one sentence strung together. So Mm -hmm. the, you know, so yes, change everything, decide nothing, and become an artist were these three messages, intuitive messages that I got about four or five years ago as I was in the process of selling the business that I had for the 15 years prior to that. And starting to think about, okay, well, what am I going to do next in the next phase of my life? And, well, as I mentioned, for one thing, I was exhausted by constant decision-making, by living in, you know, as you've heard this expression, like living in your head. Yeah. You know, constantly making decisions, uh, you know, about the business, about my life, and from a very analytical point of view. And decision-making that way, it's expensive. It's psychically expensive is what I would say. Well, it's not that fun. And it also often doesn't even produce the right results. I mean, we can sit down and do analysis and rack our brains about the pros and cons, you know, courses of action and that sort of thing. And we still may well choose, you know, do the wrong thing, so to speak, or not trust that we're doing the right thing. When we really know we're doing the right thing is when we make a more intuitive decision. So I didn't know all of what I just said to you. All I knew is that I was tired of making decisions. And I didn't come up with those words, decide nothing, 
you know, as an answer to that, I mean, those words came to me essentially as here's a message for you, Bowen, decide nothing for a while. Okay. So think of it that way. Just try that. And so, you know, I kind of received these words literally as an intuitive message. Like, well, what do I do with that? Well, I should pay attention to that message and try not deciding. And in concrete terms, I mean, the way I put that into practice is when I find myself in that sort of anxious state of mind, you know, when you're trying to make a decision, you don't know what the right way to go is, and you're stuck, basically. Right. I'm sure you're familiar with this state of mind. Oh, definitely. I just went through my uh, 20s. I'm uh, 28, so that's a, a constant state of mind you find yourself in and you have to combat with and you know, seek mentorship in regards to and all that. That's why I have a podcast. I learn from wiser folks like you. Well, there you go. And so, right, I mean, you can add information. Often what we do in that state of mind is we just keep banging our heads against the wall, right? We just like, I just got to figure this out. Okay. Well, what I took from that message from decide nothing was, well, don't stop trying to figure it out at least, you know, for the moment. So when I notice myself in that anxious state of trying to figure out what I should do, even if it's something super small, like, you know, should I go get a cup of coffee on the way to, you know, this meeting or whatever? If I don't know, then I just don't try to figure it out. Wow, that's nice. So you are conserving all this mental energy that you had previously been wasting on decisions that are a never-ending rabbit hole of analysis. Yes, yes. And that's the smallest example and a much larger scale example is like the largest one, which is what am I going to do with the rest of my life or the next five years, right? And we are constantly kind of receiving the message that, you know, we need to figure that out. And my feeling about that is that going at it directly and, you know, trying to figure it out is for many of us, not the way we're going to come up with the answer. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that was decide nothing. Change everything was just kind of a general message about, like, I really wanted to change a lot of things in my life. Again, I received that message. I didn't come up with it. So I had to kind of learn what it meant over time. And, you know, first of all, what it meant, was that, you know, I had been running this business that I had started and I had built and I wanted to get myself away and out of that business and out of that line of work and to change all of that. There were many other things about how I was living that it turned out that I wanted to change as well. And, you know, many of those I didn't even know at the time that I heard those words, so to speak. Right. So... That's, you know, maybe a little bit of an answer to your question about how those two things go together. I think that's a great answer. And I, I feel really connected with how you, uh, you talk about we have this pressure to figure things out. And sh- I get it because I, I do feel like we receive lots of messages that it's important to um, view our future in a purposeful way. Like, what are we going to do with this limited time we have here on Earth to Im- impact humanity and we have a deep yearning to impact and connect with humanity so on a larger scale it makes sense but when you're like eating yourself alive and analyzing these things and actually holding yourself like captive from the real freedom of 
you know, unlimited expression and artistry of being and um, spontaneity and those sort of things, you're missing the essence and beauty of living. So it, it's, it's a balancing act, but I think I agree with you too often we balance societally on the over analysis thing when really there's people in, in other countries and other cultures that really value the, let's just stick to like the general sense of let's stay connected to our purpose. Let's stay connected to our fellow mankind around us. And we don't need to tell this narrative of where I'll be in five, 10 years from now. And I think maybe I'm guessing, but I'm not sure. But in retirement, I, I feel like people are going through this paradigm shift where no, they don't longer have to answer all those questions because they've been there and done that. They've made their money. They've had their career. They've established some sense of legacy. And I hope, I hope that people that are of retirement age are able to listen to this because it sounds like you're kind of beginning that, that thought journey. Like you've sold a business. You no longer need to do things, you know, for, so like for the purpose of making money necessarily you've achieved incredible amounts of freedom with your adventure sports and your jumping of continents and countries. And I think you're tapping into something that's important for people as they find that, that maybe that financial and career freedom all of a sudden, what are they going to do with their life? What does a purposeful retirement look like? How have you begun to answer that? It sounds like some of your answer is tied into becoming an artist. Some of it's tied into being intuitive but then you also have the side of going really deep into what has held you back for years and years and years, which has been, you know, alcohol, drugs, the journey to achieve sobriety or stay sober, those sort of things seem like top of mind for you as well, even though those have to be uncomfortable probably to re-engage with. So I guess ultimately I'm wondering, like, what does a purposeful retirement look like to you? Where are you mm. at right now in this you journey? You seem kind of focused on this word, well... I guess I could say I'm familiar with because this is probably the third or fourth time that I've retired. And my advice is to retire early and often and to forget about the idea, but by no means the first person to say this, you know, to forget about the idea of working for many, many years and then retiring yeah. in some way that's separate from whatever, you know, the rest of your life. Right. I mean, it's true that I have earned my freedom and that is something that we all must do in the world that we live in today. And my advice on that point would be to earn your freedom as quickly as possible by way of managing how you live with how you work so that you can get outside of the machine as quickly as possible because living inside the machine is much less interesting. And Nassim Taleb talks about this in his great book Anti-Fragile describes it as the barbell strategy, which is that most creative people, most people who eventually identify themselves as artists or who gained the freedom you know, to live a more free and creative life worked to gain that freedom. And that is a good strategy. It's a good strategy to have a day job and to use that to fund your freedom. And the idea of the starving artist or, you know, just slaving away for 40 years and then retiring, I think both of those are really kind of obsolete and not very useful. So to move off of that and, you know, to talk, I want to go back and, and talk about purpose, actually, from the very beginning, because it's true. In the West, we have with this idea, you know, that we have to have like a big purpose for our life, right? That, you know, that we want to be able to write that book, 
or have some legacy that we leave behind that's well-defined and that has changed the world in some way. And that's great. You know, I mean, I hope that lots of us do. And (laughs) I would say that that, you know, is, as we were just talking about, you know, it's a distraction and and kind of a, a dangerous distraction and kind of a false promise for a lot of people because it's such a high bar, first of all, to like, you know, I've got to have a life, a world changing purpose. And just as with the decision making process I was talking about earlier, going at that directly, saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to sit here and rack my brain until I come up with a world changing purpose. That's not how you're going to come up with it. That's not how you're going to come up with it. Purpose comes from intuition. That's the only thing that we have to guide us, actually, as individuals, right? That's the pure voice of ourself speaking. And so to talk about that a little bit more, because there's a more basic purpose that we have, that we all have, that all humans and all animals have, that any living thing has, which is very simply to make use of our natural abilities as well as we possibly can, right? Given our circumstances, that is our purpose as a living being, as an animal, right? At an animal level for the subconscious, for the unconscious mind, there's absolutely no question that if we do that, right, that we will be satisfied. We'll be happy actually. If we just live well, according to our natural abilities, right? Without the conscious mind involved. That's where it gets complicated, right? But you know, a dog, that's why a dog is always happy because a dog just does dog well. Mm. And that makes the dog happy. It's very simple. Okay. (laughs) It's very, very simple. That's the dog's purpose is to do dog well, right? (laughs) You got it? Yeah. And like I said, where it gets complicated is that we have this conscious mind this very very powerful conscious mind riding along on top of our unconscious and our subconscious okay and that conscious mind demands a lot of attention it demands attention it wants to be part of the show right and as carl jung among others pointed out instinct is the automatic stuff the, the totally automatic actions that you know chewing okay intuition is what tells us when and where to make those actions like running where do our feet go that's intuition in action hmm. okay so for animals and for humans operating subconsciously there's nothing to get in the way of the natural flow of intuition guiding our bodies essentially guiding us in the world and so happiness is automatic yeah it's where the conscious mind that's the only reason that we end up unhappy is because we're conscious right i mean that's the basic human dilemma right we all know this right and so given the power of the conscious mind there are many things that can distract us from that intuitive flow right that is knowing when and how to do the right thing at the right time without even knowing how we do that.
Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from living out your purpose? I know a bad accident, breakups, and head injuries have plagued my path of purpose. The good news is that People of Purpose has now partnered with BetterHelp, an online counseling platform that will assess your needs from exactly where you are and match you with your very own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. I know that when we are purposefully and passionately pursuing our visions, it can be so hard to take the big action you need for yourself. That's why I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp is available worldwide from the comfort and ease of your smartphone. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, call or video chat as often as you need. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses without needing to be in one single city or drive and sit in an uncomfortable waiting room just to have a 30 minute conversation. These conversations have the power to literally change your life. We need to make sure we're having them. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. For me, the sign-up process was so thorough and personalized to exactly what I needed. Within 15 minutes, I was done, and the very next day, I was paired with a counselor with the pedigree to help me think through exactly the questions I have at this stage in my life. Since I've met my premarital Christian counselor, Colleen, I've had enormous insights on where and how to create better boundaries, and even had a session with my fiance while she's in Thailand and I'm in California. It's amazing how powerful and accessible counseling is today with the power of the internet. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Whether you need professional coaching for your business, help overcoming a trauma, or just need a thought partner who would walk through a rocky part of a road with you, BetterHelp wants to help you start living a happier life today. People of Purpose listeners get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose. That's betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. So I'm just going to continue this thread here for a minute and I'm going to bring it all back together for you. So, first of all, our conscious mind demands attention as I said, and we know this from neuroscience too, it wants to insert itself into the process and claim credit actually for decisions, so to speak, that were made pre-consciously or subconsciously. We can see that from fMRIs in terms of muscle movement. And then the brain says, oh, I decided to move that muscle. It's like, well, actually the muscle was already moving. So you didn't decide. (laughs) So the brain wants to insert itself in the process and it can easily kind of basically overcomplicate things, Mm -hmm. overthinking. Okay. So that's one thing. Secondly, because of how we grow up and it's just the complex nature of our brains and socialization and development, we may not really develop a very good intuitive capacity at all. And this is what happened to me growing up, right? Partly because I started drinking and doing drugs at such an early age, and because those things block intuition so much and block really all of our senses, right? I just didn't develop a very good sense of intuition to begin with or until much later in life. Right. So it's possible to go along without much intuition. So we're talking about purpose and the original sort of our basic purpose 
which is just to live well according to our basic human capacities and how our conscious mind and a poorly developed sense of intuition can really get in the way of that happening. Okay, so the last thing is that, as I was just saying, actually, there are lots of things that we do, like consume alcohol, other sorts, other drugs, gambling, social media is a big one, mm-hmm. right? All these things that are so captivating and distracting that they dominate our mental state so much that they prevent intuition from working. Wow. Yeah, that's profound. Yeah. And again, I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, but I mean, you know, you know, when you're in that state of mind and you're flipping through Instagram or whatever, you're so highly stimulated. There's no space for the whisper of intuition to speak. Okay. In that time. And the same thing, if, you know, if I have four beers after work, you know, it dulls the pain of the day. That's, that's, that's great in a way. I mean, that's the short-term effect. The more subtle effect is that it shuts off that voice of intuition entirely, along with a bunch of other senses, right? So my point with all of that is that finding our purpose, right, this basic purpose that we all have of just living according essentially to what you could call intuitive flow, right? Just living well, living naturally essentially, that should come naturally, okay? But there are things that can really interfere with it, the things that I've just articulated. If that's the case and our intuition isn't really working very well, that we're going to feel terrible. We're going to feel anxious, lost, depressed, unsatisfied, okay? So my biggest point really in all of that and going through all of it is to try to speak to the power of intuition in leading us to our purpose, right? And that if we don't have a well-developed sense of intuition, we're just not going to find not even the big answer about the book we want to write or how we want to change the world, but we're not even going to be able to do, you know, the right thing in small ways through the course of the day, the week, and the month, just in terms of living well. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it also seems like a vicious cycle begins because you feel low, you feel purposeless, you feel lost, anxiety filled. And the the short term solution is to feel good again with a quick hit of whatever it is, whatever your drug is, like you said, social media or gambling or alcohol or marijuana or whatever it can be. And we're missing the larger game we're playing which is how can we tap into that sense of intuition and become more purposeful in these small everyday ways yeah that's exactly right yeah i mean right you know humans were suckers for comfort too right you know and we get desperate for something that feels good and we have built and created a lot of things in our modern world that feel good at least in the very short term, or are very entertaining or engaging, but really get in the way, yes, of our, some of our basic human mechanisms, in particular of intuition. And again, without our intuition working well, we don't have purpose. We don't know what our purpose is. We're lost without that strong voice of intuition. What do you think is the reason that we want to live purposefully 
because it does have that byproduct of it feels good. But obviously that's not the end goal in itself to just feel good and comfortable all the time. What do you think it is about the pursuit of purpose that feels so meaningful and significant and paramount to our existence? Yeah, I think that it is actually, you know, when we're talking about purpose, I, I think we should be, you know, clear. We're kind of talking about two things at once, you know, because I think you're talking about both this higher purpose of, you know, some sort of world changing, large scale life purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's also what I'm talking about, which is the the basic human or basic animal purpose of living well, right? Okay, and now there are kind of two levels of the same thing. But the reason that we want to live with purpose is because we must to survive. I mean, to be like an animal cannot live without purpose. An animal is living its purpose. It's not aware of anything else. Like I said, a dog's purpose is to do dog well, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the human's purpose, if you just take it the same way, our purpose is to do human well. Your purpose, Tanner, is to do Tanner well. Mm. that's my purpose is to do me as well as I possibly can, right? That's the base purpose that all of us have as humans is to simply be ourselves as much as we can possibly be. And that in fact is the only purpose. Like if you're out there wondering like, what's your purpose? What's my purpose? I don't know what my purpose is. I wish I knew what my purpose is. You know, I would start doing it as soon as I knew what it was, if only I knew what it was, because I've yeah. been there. You know what the answer to that question is? Do you as well as you possibly can. Just start, just be yourself. And if in any way you can express yourself more, your unique self, do that. Yeah. And that will help lead you to whatever larger purpose you may or may not have. So my answer again to your question is, why do we want to live with purpose? Is because we have to, actually. That's, I mean, from, again, an animal point of view. And we feel the lack of it so much because, again, we've constructed our lives in so many ways that are counterproductive to having purpose. Yeah, what did you find out was being Bowen? It seemed like without intuition, you weren't tapping into that sense of purpose. And you wrote in your writing, I didn't have purpose because my intuition wasn't working. Well, now that you are essentially alcohol free for a year now, which is an amazing feat considering all that you've been through with that, how do you stand on your pursuit of purpose? Like, What is it that you've discovered about yourself that is so essential to being a purposeful version of Bowen? Well, I'll answer that. You brought up alcohol again, so I just want to respond to that for a minute first. Okay. So first of all, well, it had been more than a year. It's been almost two years now since I chose to no longer drink alcohol. I don't want to take any credit for being a sort of amazing achievement. The perception that, you know, that alcohol has a lot of power and that it's, you know, super difficult, for example, to stop drinking, which is kind of what you implied, is, I mean, it's true for some people. Some. And it's a spectrum like anything else. And we all respond differently to different inputs. But the degree to which it's difficult has 
overstayed and overstated by like a factor of a hundred. Hmm. Alcohol is, I mean, it's just a substance. I mean, we put a lot of things in our bodies. We put a lot of things in our minds. You know, we have created this entire world that we live in. So alcohol does not have anywhere near the type of power that we ascribe to it in the sort of traditional sort of addiction mm-hmm. uh, worldview. It just does not have that much power. And for most people, for most people who, like myself, we're just regular, you know, normal people that enjoy some wine with dinner and a couple of cocktails now and then, there's no category for those people in the, again, the sort of old school addiction typology. Mm-hmm. Those are just people. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with those people, and there isn't anything wrong with those people. Those are just people who may at some point start to realize that they, you know, just want to drink less, or may even decide they want to drink not at all, but it's not like a night or day thing. It's not a disease. It's not a life-threatening issue. It's not something that, you know, that's so difficult either to change, actually. Right. Yeah. So for most people in the world, actually, changing their relationship with alcohol, you know, one way or the other is actually turns out to be quite easy when they have their motivations clear. And that's what happened to me is I just got to the point in terms of how I was living where alcohol just didn't really fit into that world anymore. I just didn't have time for it. You know, I want to do other stuff, (laughs) you know, in my 20s, sure, in my 30s. And, you know, for a long time in my life, I, you know, I wanted to enjoy, you know, that bottle of wine. Well, now I just just don't have time to do it because I got other stuff I need to do. And it gets in the way. And I need my wits about me. You know, that's the other thing. Mm. So I just wanted to, uh, to speak to that for a minute. And I'm sure, you know, we'll touch on it again. In terms of... I don't know. What was your question about purpose? Like, what does my purpose become, or what? It, yeah. What did you learn about who Bowen is? Like, you oh, mentioned yeah, that yeah. purpose in the like small everyday is just being you as best as possible. So now that you're able to tap more into your sense of purpose because your intuition is working and and like you're tapped into that continuously, what are you learning about who Bowen is? How can we relate to that as people like that are listening? Maybe understand it as an abstract concept, but want to maybe have a more of a, you know, example to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Well, what I found, you know, who Bowen is, well, how do we know, or what are any of us? It's what we express in a way, Mm -hmm. right? Self-expression. And so for me, partly, certainly, yes, I started to feel like I wanted to express myself more. That's essentially what that third message meant, become an artist right? That's kind of how you can interpret that is like, express yourself more, right? Be creative. And so I didn't really know exactly what that message meant uh, when I got it, but it, it was a message to pay attention to my creativity and to, you know, when I had opportunities to explore different things to, well, to put energy into those things. And that's why you and I met at a writing and meditation class at at Spirit Rock, because by then I had really started to, well, not only feel that I enjoyed writing a lot and that I might even want to become a writer, 
not only was I just feeling that, but I remembered something, Tanner, that I had known when I was much younger and that I had forgotten, essentially, and buried in all of the life that happened in the meantime, along with all of the drinking and everything else, which is that at the age of 14, I knew that I wanted to be a writer. And I knew that I wanted to be a writer or that I would become a writer in my 50s, literally, at this very age that I'm just arriving to now. So I knew that then it disappeared. And as my head began to clear, basically, and as my intuition came kind of more fully online, that message resurfaced. And that really became clear to me as my creative purpose as a writer. Yeah, that's incredible. Do you believe that this already knowing quality that we have when we're maybe at this adolescent age is something we need to tap back into? Is there always some truth there? Like you were able to discover reconnecting with your 14 year old self? I, that's a really interesting question. I saw that you, you know, had written that. And I mean, I would say, yes, I think so. It's not something I've really thought about all that much. I wonder what prompted you to ask that question. Is there something from your youth that? Yeah, I guess I feel like I go back to my youth a lot when I'm uh, feeling like I'm in my intuition. I'm reminded of, oh, I felt this sensation before where I have like tingles in my body and like I feel lightweight, can't stop smiling and being happy. How did I tap into this again? Because I used to feel this a lot when I was younger or something. And it would remind me of like playing high level sports with my best friends and having my family praising me while we were traveling around the country, you know, playing high level baseball, for example. And then I'm remembering like what it felt like when I received some sort of social validation for doing something incredible that I worked really hard to be able to achieve. And then I'm like, oh, well, that's probably why I'm feeling that way right now. Because I, all of those conditions have just been met once again as a 25-year-old or 26-year-old or whatever. And so I do find that when I'm more in my intuitive self, I'm tapping into younger versions of who I am. And I guess that feels important to me. And I'm wondering if you tap into that as well. Yeah, that's really cool. That's interesting to hear you articulate it that way. And it makes sense. It makes sense. I think for me, again, the answer is yes. And the fact is that, you know, I was so disconnected from my younger self for many, many years because that younger self, again, you know, this is largely because of alcohol, I think primarily, or, you know, just how it, it deadens our senses. It deadens our ability to communicate with ourself and with others. And of course, also memory, literally. And so, you know, my teenage self was, yeah, was kind of lost to me or, you know, was a disconnected wow. Yeah, memory, I get that. Right. And I really didn't have, well, like I said, that very specific, you know, I remember now journaling when I was 14, writing down, like, I will be a writer when I'm in my 50s, you know. But I had forgotten that, buried it, you know, it was lost to me for a long time. And I think that, yes, I mean, since then, I have done some work to kind of get back in touch with my teenage self. 
And absolutely, you know, things are just, you know, more, they're a little more pure and primitive in those times. Our, our conscious minds haven't, you know, screwed with this quite as much. So yeah, totally. I think that's really powerful. I guess another thing that I'm recalling is I remember making like some deep vows to myself when I was this age, 14, 15, 16, where I would look up a little bit to, let's say, my parents and my parents' friends. And I would notice like little qualities of them that are really pure and beautiful and honest and real. But I'd also notice ways in which those were tainted a little bit. Like maybe they didn't believe in love anymore because of a divorce or they had been just overworked for so many years. They had these narratives around how they can never have enough money or that they don't feel like they get to travel anymore. All these like little things you hear in, you know, small town Kansas where I'm from. And I remember making these vows to myself that like I'm never going to let myself fall victim to those narratives because... I know deep inside that like life is boundless and I have all these amazing gifts and qualities in me that I'm able to express right now at this age. And they're leading to these amazing you know, experiences. I was got to be like the starting quarterback for my high school football team. I got to go on a scholarship to Washington, D.C. and go to this young leaders conference and connect with all these peers that were doing incredible things. And to like have a brother who was a best friend we got to have these like free spirited summers where we're like swimming and playing sports and like doing artist things and and i just remember making these vows to myself that this is really important this is actually something that is more important than all those things that the adults seem to be chasing now and it almost seems like they get caught up in these survival mechanisms of like you know working inside the machine as you talked about it earlier and it causes all these elements to them to be more numbed to that like youthful essence of life that I remember feeling. So I think that I'm still tapped into that in a sense. And I promised myself that I would always remain tapped into that regardless of what people around me are telling me I have to do. I wasn't drinking alcohol at 14. I had never tried any drugs until I was 18. And so that part of me is clear. And I could see how it could be different when, you know, you started in third or fourth grade and then you wrote in your blog that you had tried LSD in seventh grade. There's some like dissociative elements to these things that I imagine would be tough on a young person who is not even fully developed in who they are. And then you have a whole new thing that like causes a rupture in that identity and you want to try out another identity and, you know, you're doing these things with other people who are different than you, but you're trying to find connection with them. I guess, like, what truths do you understand about alcoholism and depression and coming out on the other side? Like, what words can you speak into people's lives to wake up to that essence of joyfulness of life that we all innately do have buried deep inside of us? Yeah, 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 we do. It definitely took me a long time to wake up to it. And the thing is, too, Tanner, that, like, so many people, so many of us lack purpose and lack the kind of self-awareness that, you know, that you just described a little bit of cultivating, you know, yourself in your younger years. So many of us lack, again, that, you know, purpose and self-awareness, even without, you know, drinking or, you know, other substances or anything else, because that's not what we learn in school. That's not what we learn from our parents generally. That's not what the world is about. You know, it's one of the paradoxes of, civilization you know that we like we built the world that has destroyed us 
And it's really true. I mean, that's, you know, that's what's happening now in a lot of ways, you know, and it's up to us to figure out how to kind of reinvent civilization so that it serves us better, right? In the smaller scale, you know, for me, I mean, you mentioned alcohol and depression and and depression in particular and, and how that comes into it. I also was depressed for many years. It's also part of my story. And for me, and I think for many people, the reason for depression is, or, or that depression is very simply a symptom of not living well. Okay. It's not a condition that just, you know, it's not like a disease that you catch, right? And that just afflicts you for no intrinsic reason. Now, there are, I'm sure there are people that have genetic depression because of trauma or whatever else, but for many, many people in modern world, and Johan Hari speaks about this very eloquently in his book, Lost Connections. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that helps you grow on your path of purpose? The People of Purpose newsletter, or POP for short, is an email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life to help you more purposefully pursue your purpose. It will include a short story, some words of wisdom to help you be more purposeful during your day, and an update on how the last guest has inspired me and how they can inspire you too. So take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com, letting us know you would like to receive the POP newsletter. Just include People of Purpose newsletter in the subject header and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. The reason that most people are depressed is because their life sucks, essentially, one way or another, or, you know, in many ways. And by life sucks, I mean lack of freedom, lack of purpose, lack of connections, lack of communication with others, lack of feeling part of anything meaningful, lack of security. Those are the primary reasons. And all of those reasons are things that are really pretty common in today's world, you know, very common. And they're not things that we are, many of those things are not things that we are taught, you know, how to build into our lives. And this is where intuition comes back into it because if we don't have our intuition working for us, okay, we don't know what to do with ourselves. And we are constantly stuck in this anxious state of mind of trying to figure out what to do, what's the right path, even on a moment-to-moment basis, let alone a much larger scale. That is a recipe for depression. That will make you depressed. And then on top of that, if you're drinking all the time, you know, especially from a young age as I was, well, alcohol is literally a depressant and it makes you literally feel shitty, you know, the next day. And you add up many, you know, many of those next days over and over and over again, that it'll drag you down, right? And so the combination for me of a lack of a well-developed sense of intuition and early use of alcohol, that's what made me depressed, right? So once I began to cultivate my intuition, 
started to see kind of more clearly like just how to live well that is normally and chose to stop drinking my depression you know it's a symptom of those things so my depression went away now that's a simplified version of it but how'd you get yourself out of that how'd you get unstuck how'd you reconnect with the need to lift yourself up again because it seems like it would get harder and harder as you're dragged further and further down and it does. It does get harder and harder. And, that, and that's the thing is that when you're in the middle of that state of mind, it seems impossible. It seems like nothing's going to change. Nothing that you do is going to make a difference. It feels very hopeless. It feels very, to me, I mean, I'm talking about my own experience. It felt very lonely. It felt like anything that I contemplated, aside from anything else, that I would have to do that alone. And that alone was enough to make me not want to do it because I already felt lonely enough. I wasn't going to do something else alone you know so how to turn that wheel around so it starts moving the other way and that is the critical question for someone who's depressed or is feeling depressed how to turn that wheel around the other way i mean there's lots of pieces to it you know it can be therapy i did a lot of therapy it can be extra physical exercise and activity that's very important it can be community that is, you know, being with other people that you have some real affinity with. If you're consuming alcohol in particular and you're depressed, I mean, my therapist never asked me about this. And I've talked with other therapists and analysts about this, and it's a big disconnect in the traditional world of psychotherapy and psychoanalysis. In general, for many years, the whole field of therapy analysis, they just stayed away from the whole question of alcohol. Because it was just viewed as like, I don't know, we can't go there. I mean, it goes back to the beginnings of the history of psychoanalysis of Freud and Jung. And so it was just kind of taboo subject. Like they just didn't go there. So anyway, my therapist never asked me how much I was drinking or whether I was drinking. The short answer is if you're depressed and you're drinking alcohol, you should really, really consider drinking less. Because it's definitely making you at least more depressed. So many things, right? Many things. How do you start to turn it around? You start to live better. I mean, that's the short answer, right? That's the short answer. And I would highly recommend, again, I'll mention the book again, Johan Hari is the guy's name, and the book is called Lost Connections. And he goes through really the seven or eight or nine of the primary or the reasons for depression. And antidepressants can play a role too. The, the modern research about antidepressants, what I've seen and what I believe is true is that you can't cure depression with antidepressants. That's not what they do. And in fact, the efficacy of antidepressants has been shown so far to be that they don't do all that much. But what they can do, perhaps for some people, is open a door. And if you're feeling so low and you've been depressed chronically for a long time, and it's hopeless, it seems hopeless to you, having a, you know, a ray of light shining in you know, that, that changes how you see the world, that can be enough to start you down a more positive path, right? Yeah, and those rays of light seem like they would show up as you're feeling better physically, as you have a more positive orientation to how you start your day. A hangover start of day versus a sunrise hike and meditation is an entirely different kind of way to start the day. Absolutely correct. 
That's absolutely right. So any of those things, it's like, I mean, if you're depressed, it's very hard to bring yourself to do anything. That's the problem because it, everything sucks and it feels like nothing's going to make a difference. But the point is, or the best advice that I've gotten on the subject is find something that you can bear to do. You know, if you can bear to go to a yoga class, go to yoga because it'll make, you'll feel better. You know, if you can bear to do a little meditation or journaling or visit with some friends, go for a hike with some friends or drink less or, you know, whatever positive change you can make that you can stand, you know, do it. And that eventually, for me, that's what got the wheel turning in another direction. Yeah. And it almost seems like you would get this extra blessing of now that the wheel is turning the opposite direction and I took control to turn it, this thing can start spinning really fast in a positive direction. Is that kind of the like giddy, optimistic feeling you have right now? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say so. You know, I, I mean, I think that what you've described is happiness, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I feel pretty happy these days. And I do feel that Yes, that I have a lot of things that are pushing that wheel in the positive direction, right? I have now a lot of habits and practices and things that are part of my life that they all push the wheel in the positive direction, right? And, you know, that goes back to right where we started. I mean, that's living well. That's how we're made to live, right? You know, dogs do dogs well. Humans are born to do human well. We are. We get in our own way, right, by making things too complicated and also by treating ourselves to these things that, you know, they may feel good in the very short term, but that are really not good for us, you know, in the longer term. But we are built to live well. And mm. when we do, yeah, it feels amazing, doesn't it? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you've definitely like tapped me back into what it feels like to live well. And I guess also I feel as if we shouldn't necessarily hold ourselves to the standard of always being happy all the time because these are also states that can come and go. For me, what I've learned is it's about that self-control. Like when you do fall back into that negative state, do you have that long-term vision, that discipline to say, well, the positive state is coming if I just keep with the right orientation towards life, that I keep doing the things to live well. And yeah, I guess that's the point I wanted to make as well is that can be really helpful, I feel. Yeah, I mean, and just to say something about that, you know, that's also a component of how depression works and how intuition plays into it. Because when you're depressed or when I was depressed, people say, oh, it's going to be all right. You know what I mean? That's the cliche. That's what, you know, it's going to, it's going to work out. But when you're depressed, you're like, no, I, I don't think so. Like, it does not feel like it's going to work out. You know what I mean? There's no trust that it's just going to work out. It basically feels like things are just going to continue to go downhill. And they are, you know, for many people. And in particular, again, with a poorly developed sense of intuition, you know, people say, trust your gut, you know, trust your intuition. Well, if your intuition isn't working, there's nothing to trust, right? But if you can turn that around and practice your intuition, and if you use it regularly in your life and do have a sense that you can trust it, then as you just said, when you're, you know, when you have a sticky moment, a dark moment, 
you know, a, a troublesome time, then maybe you have some real reason to trust that, well, you know, if I just, you know, I kind of do what feels right and I just, you know, and I go through this tough time here, I might not know exactly what to do, but if I just do me, right, if I do me, it'll be okay. That's how that works. For it to be okay, you have to have your intuition. And if you don't, you don't have any reason to believe that. Yeah. And I'm curious what you think about um, relationships and their power to pull you out of this state. So say the right woman comes into your life, and it sounds like this maybe has actually happened to you. You wrote about some different women that, that were in your life, and now you have one that, that fits kind of who you want to be within the relationship. How do you recommend people avoid developing a codependency or like a need for that person? Because that person maybe was like really instrumental in, in unlocking that happiness once again and maybe getting the wheel turning the opposite way. How do you maintain enough like distance from it being that person and it more being like that person awakens something in you and it's me that needs to continue to make those positive changes? Yeah, I like to give you the short answer is I don't know, man. I am no expert. I mean, in, in really, in have been in a lot of relationships, and and I'm not sure you're reading, but at the moment, actually, I'm not in any relationship, and that by choice, that is, this year I chose after ending my last relationship, I chose to not pursue relationship for a while and really to spend time with myself. In an effort, I would say, to get a bit more clear on, you know, the question that you've just asked me, you know, to kind of make sure that I know who I am, you know, and where the boundaries of myself are. And, you know, that when I do engage with some other person, yeah, that I'm not trying to fill in some part of myself that's missing. You know, one of the things that comes to mind, I mean, in, in trying to answer your question is, you know, searching, right? If we're out there, you know, if I have certainly been for plenty of my life, you know, kind of searching for someone, you know, someone, the right person to be with, or just someone to be with. And that's probably, (laughs) it's probably not, you know, not really the, you know, the grounded place to be coming from. You know, I want to feel whole actually myself. And, you know, that someone else adds, you know, color and light and inspiration and companionship and sure maybe helps to awaken some parts of myself or, or shed light on, you know, some parts of myself that, you know, I might not see as what, well, you know, clearly by myself, but yeah, I mean the dark side of, or, you know, like you said, codependency or, you know, getting involved with people that, that trigger you or yeah. Or that, yeah, you know, bring out this, you know, unhealthier parts of yourself or, yeah, I mean, that's easy to do too. It's kind of a, in a way, similar to, you know, some of the like addictive behaviors that, you know, we've like alcohol and gambling and whatever else. It's a short-term rush, right? But it's long-term destructive. It's exciting, right? It can be exciting to be involved with someone who's, you know, you're in conflict with, or there's drama with, or, you know, it's highly emotional or, you know, et cetera. But, you know, that's not really the kind of excitement that, I want, right? Or that serves us. Yeah, no, I love what you're saying right now about wanting to be with yourself this year and really understanding those boundaries of who you are and the depths of who you are. 
that really resonates with me. That's how I found the woman that I'm getting married to in three weeks is I was single for a year and a half and I went to Thailand by myself with these very same questions in mind. And it only came when I was living from a place of wholeness and contentedness and, you know, sight of the path ahead that I found somebody that matched those qualities in themselves as well. Yeah, that makes so much sense. That's so cool to hear that from you, you know, as well. And I think that there's something in there, you know, there's some very solid experience to share there. And, you know, you could say advice to share with other men in particular. And with younger men, I got very little guidance from men in my life at all times. I mean, as a young person, as a teenager, I mean, earlier life, I didn't really have really strong relationships with other men in my life. And that's also something that I've focused on more in the last few years and in particular this year, you know. And that's something that, you know, as men, we can help each other with, right? If our message to our fellow men in the world is like, go out, have fun, get laid, well, you can succeed at that. But if our message is a little more interesting and you know, you can be a whole person by yourself and that you will be happier as a man, you know, and as a person, but for the moment here, I'm talking about men, you know, that you will be happier eventually and most likely find a better partner, a partner that serves you and her or him or them better. If you make yourself whole first, and you might even need to take some time by yourself to do that, you know, that's a message that a lot of us could really use hearing. Oh, yeah. And I've been really influenced recently by a book called The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. Have you heard of this book? I certainly have. Yes, I, I read that book a long time ago, and I've done some work with David and some of his students, actually, yes. Really? You know David? Well, I don't know him, but I've done a workshop with him. He doesn't do that much public work these days, but I've worked with a couple of his students. Last weekend, I did a workshop with one of his students, and then three weeks ago before that, I did another workshop with one of his students. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he makes this point that... um us men need to be tapped into that deeper sense of purpose because what a woman is looking for in a partner is oftentimes not someone that just like loves them fully. There's another step before that and beyond that, which is, are they able to continually stay oriented towards their deepest sense of purpose? And can I experience that with him in partnership? And so that's our first calling is to be tapped into that sense of purpose that wholeness of who we are, and then we attract somebody to go on that journey with. If we don't have the journey we're going on, we're not going to find somebody that's wanting to go to those places. And then that's where the toxicity comes in and we back to the depression and restarting and all that sort of thing. So it's really important to get in touch with that. Absolutely agree, Tanner. Yeah, it's fascinating that you, that you brought up David Data and, and the relationship of purpose to masculinity. Now, you know, whether or not, you know, for some people, the idea that, you know, purpose or purposefulness is more or less of a masculine thing, you know, or not, will be more or less useful. It doesn't really matter, you know, to me personally, whether it's like a masculine thing or not. But I do agree that there are people in the world and more, you know, yeah, it's like it is kind of a more commonly masculine thing. It's like we need to have a purpose. And if we don't, 
Yeah, I mean, this is true for everybody, but, you know, I think it is true more for men. And I, I do agree with a lot of what data has to say. And what follows from that is that what is often traditionally considered a more feminine quality, and that is intuition, is actually something that men need more than anything else, right? We need, and we have deprecated this sense and this ability for so long by focusing on our conscious, analytical, kind of consciously purpose-driven brains that we have, you know, we've deprecated and forgotten how to use intuition as men, how important it is. And it actually lies at the, you know, the very core, as you've just pointed out, essentially, at the very core of our masculinity. If we don't have access to our intuition, we're not going to find our purpose. And we're not going to be able to just even live well. And if we can't do that, we're not going to find our way in the world. We're not going to find partners. We're not going to find satisfaction. We're not going to find anything. Yeah. Wow. So cool that you brought that in. Yeah, I could definitely recommend some some other teachers for you as well if you're um, you know, from that starting point of, of Oh, I would love to have some guests on the podcast to talk deeply about these topics. These are super top of mind for me is I've carved that out as my twenty nineteen goal this year was become a man that's ready for marriage. Become a man that is like ready for, you know, success in my purpose and in my relationships and in finding freedom of expression in all the ways I can. As I've been putting that out there in the world that this is a mission I'm on, David Data has come into my life now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, he has been very much a leader in this whole realm of thinking about both about masculinity, femininity, sexuality, purpose. Yep. And work as well. And tasks and all that stuff that we find ourselves driven to do as men, you know, yeah. So I guess like, as we're kind of wrapping up our interview, I wanted to understand now that we've gotten on the same page about, you know, what is so important right now in your life and in our lives in general, which is tapping into that intuition, telling the truth of who we are, living that full expression and freedom of who we can be and getting ourselves, you know, unlocked out of that depression cycle and things like that. How do you hope to situate yourself in this journey? Like, I know that you've started a coaching business. You're doing a lot of writing. What is it that is your like little slice of legacy that you're beginning to carve out in this space? Yeah, yeah. In the space of life. Well, you know, the way it came to me, I don't know if I said this earlier, but as, as the simplest statement of my purpose, and it did come to me actually in a workshop I was doing with one of David's students was, I'm here to tell the truth. And, you know, by that, I mean the truth about my life, about my experience, and just sharing that. And also by that, I mean, you know, the truth of reflection in conversation and the truth of, you know, sharing experience with, you know, whether it's other men, women, you know, anybody. And so that flows through as the purpose of my writing and as the purpose and the reason for my coaching practice, which is, simply to share my experience and to help others with my experience live better 
right? Live better, live more creatively, live more freely. And the focus of my coaching is threefold, really. It's about intuition and creativity on one hand. It's about alcohol, because that is a big part of my experience. And there are so many people that want to change their relationship with alcohol. And it's also about entrepreneurship, really, because I have a lot of experience as an entrepreneur, having started a business, built a business, sold a business. And that is, you know, in our capital world, I mean, that is the best path to financial freedom for many people. And it's, it's a lot easier than a lot of people think. And it's a lot more possible today to start a business than it has been ever before in the past. And so, you know, whether somebody wants to, you know, get more in touch with their intuition, or change their relationship with alcohol, or be more entrepreneurial, figure out how to start a business or, you know, needs sort of help running their business. Those are kind of the three areas of focus, again, just based on my own personal experience. And I do that, I think, as you've seen, kind of hand in hand with my own more personal writing practice. So I I write a lot in relation to my coaching practice, but I'm also working on a lot of writing that, you know, that I don't share that um, that I hope to eventually publish as a, a memoir of some sort. Wow, that's incredible. I love that that combination is so unique. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know this, but when you find that, that little niche that you are a bit of an expert in, you're going to attract the right people to that. And you know, you're going to have a big impact on people. If someone's looking for a way to find financial freedom and find freedom from alcoholism and find purposeful relationships and get back in touch with their sense of self-expression, I mean, Bo and Dwelly is the right guy to go to. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, you know, my message on that is that they're, first of all, happy to talk to anybody who feels inspired to ask, you know, has questions or wants to talk about any of those things. And we're all very individual people. And so I'm here to try to help if I can. And, you know, if, if there's a fit with somebody and if not, of course, I, like I said, I'm here to try to help however I can. So, you know, connect people with other resources and, you know, just, it all starts with the conversation, right? I mean, that's, that's the thing is to, you know, you've, it's funny, you mentioned a couple of times during the, you know, this interview that, you know, some of these things might be hard to talk about. And the fact is like, for me, nothing's hard to talk about. And, you know, that comes from practice, certainly, but also from a belief that the idea that anything is hard to talk about is kind of obsolete. You know, it's a mindset, right? And nothing should be hard to talk about and nothing has to be hard to talk about. And the way that happens is we just start talking about it. Right. So, you know, if there's something on your mind about, yeah, any of those things, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to talk about it more. And, um, it, that's, it all starts with a conversation, right? Awesome. Well, yeah, I, I certainly have some things I want to talk about with you off camera. But for the purpose of you know, this interview, probably should not because we've been talking for an hour and a half and we're at a really great place right now. So yeah, thank you very much for all that you've been able to share. Anything that you'd like to leave us with as like a final thought as they listen to your episode and start to take action in, in their life? Yeah, good question. I think that the biggest thing is that, like I said, dogs do dog well automatically. right humans we carry around this conscious mind that really does its best to to get in the way of us doing 
human well. And the biggest thing, I think the most powerful single factor that for me, in my experience, that, that we can exercise, right? The muscle that we can exercise that helps us the most in doing human well is intuition. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so the more we exercise that muscle and the stronger it is, the easier it is to live well, the more likely it is that we'll live, live well, make good choices about how to live, and the more natural it will be to express ourselves fully, right? And that's joy itself, right? Living well and then feeling like you're being you. I feel like I am being me 110%. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, that's all I need. Here's how to find me. You'll find my personal website with my writing and a whole bunch of stuff about adventure sports and other things at bowendwelly.com. That's B-O-W-E-N-D-W-E-L-L-E. And you'll also find me on social media under that same name, Bowendwelly on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. My coaching practice is called Second Sight. That's sight like something you see. And you'll find that at secondsight.coach. That's secondsight.coach, not .com or anything else. You might have guessed that Second Sight is a synonym for intuition. I'd love to hear from any of you with thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today. I encourage you to reach out. I love conversations of all sorts right that's what we want thank you for sharing it's been a pleasure today bowen same here fantastic to be with you today tanner great to catch up with you and congratulations again on this amazing exciting new chapter of your life i hope that we do get a chance to meet in thailand (laughs) yeah we'll have to make that happen thank you so what actionable step are you going to take next do you have a lingering question Or is there something we can help you work through to figure out and reach your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Just send us an email or a message on Facebook. If you want continued inspiration, subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our insightful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. And if you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as receive daily inspiration, Follow the podcast and journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast or at People of Purpose on Facebook to join our purpose-seeking community. By joining, you will know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose news, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration. I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me to nourish your path to purpose. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please post a review wherever you listen to it. Doing so will not only help us to grow, but will also allow your voice to be heard and who knows who you could inspire. Cheers, and here's to becoming. <laughs>